Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for GWBC Radio's Open for Business. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of GWBC Open for Business, and this show is going to be a good one. Today on the show, we have Carolyn Kopf with CEK and Partners. Welcome, Carolyn. Thank you, Lee. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm excited that you're here, and I'm excited to learn what you folks at CEK and Partners are doing. Share with us a little bit about how you're serving folks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're here based in Atlanta as a woman-owned market research, branding, and marketing agency. So what that means is we help clients gather data to understand their customers and their marketplace, develop brand strategy, and we do content marketing. So we've we've got a team that uh, supports clients as uh, far as uh, Australia to as close as down the street here in Midtown. Now, what's kind of the genesis of the idea? How did you get involved in market research and the work that you're doing? Sure, absolutely. I started out on Madison Avenue. So really, that's my professional background is helping brands better communicate with their customers. And in order to do that, you have to understand them. So market research is a natural uh, a natural fit. Do you find that um, organizations aren't uh, leveraging market research as much as they should? You know, that's interesting because it, it's really a, a mixed situation. Some companies just can't get enough of the data and insights about their customers, and others want to skip that step and don't realize, you know, how expensive it is to 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 fail and not have the right information. <laughs> So if you're an organization that maybe hasn't leaned into market research enough, can you kind of share the pros and cons of, of kind of leaning into market research? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, it informs business strategies. So it can really help a company get the right data and information to change their strategic direction and actually put them on the right course versus basing decisions on on their gut or opinions. Um, So again, really that leads into, you know, avoiding mistakes. 95% of new product launches fail. That's a a stat from uh, Harvard Business School. That's expensive. I mean, product launches are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And that could be avoided through making a comparatively small investment in market research. And then I think... The third piece is it really offers credibility. So if a board asks a a marketing team why they made a decision, they can point to data and a real credible rationale versus, oh, it it felt good or we, you know, wanted to go this direction. So it it really offers credibility. So now um, on that stat of 90% of the launches failing and everybody's heard about, you know, 80, 90% of businesses failing. Are those businesses that hadn't done any market research or are those just businesses in general? So even if they had done market research, there's still a high probability of failing. But with market research, you're kind of increasing your odds of success? With market research, absolutely. You are increasing your odds of success. It's already challenging enough, to your point, to launch a new product or service 
And if you have the right information, you're going to increase the odds of success. Now, uh, for some folks, though, they get they are afraid to take action. And this sounds like something that would might make them feel more comfortable taking action because they have more um, research and statistics that kind of back uh, an action to take. But how do you kind of work with your clients to not use research or, or kind of doing this research to kind of stall instead of taking an action? <laughs> That's a great question, Lee. I think part of it is, you know, research doesn't have to be time consuming. I mean, we're talking about, you know, a 12 week uh, investment, whereas a product launch or a repositioning project, that could be 18 months that a company is investing. And if they don't take that initial 12 weeks to get smart, then they're wasting 12 months of their time basing it on hunches and opinions. And, uh, you know, that's where the risk is. Now, is there kind of a right and a wrong way to do research? Like I could see people feeling confident, like, oh, we're doing research. So then this is going to glean that insight that we need. But sometimes isn't it difficult to really ask the right questions so you're getting the right information so you can make these informed decisions? So you need to partner with somebody who has kind of been there and done that when it comes to research, not just kind of, you know, kind of getting in a room and saying, hey, let's ask these six questions and see what people say. You know, that's a really great reminder for our listeners is that certainly asking the right questions matters. The questions you ask are the answers you're going to get. So if you're not asking the right questions, you're not getting the right answers. So certainly we always counsel our clients to definitely identify what do you want to accomplish with your business objectives and what do you need to learn from research to close your knowledge gap? And then from there, you know, there's other uh, areas and pitfalls that, you know, those who don't have research expertise need to avoid. Everything from who participates in the research. Do you have the right people involved to answer those questions? Uh, or do those people know who your brand, who's sponsoring the research? Does that matter? Because if they are a customer, they know that you're sponsoring the research, they may just agree with everything you're saying because, you know, they want to be polite or respectful. But when you bring in a third party, you can have the research be blind or you provide an objective conversation because the participants aren't trying to please either the moderator or, you know, who the survey is sponsored by. So there's all sorts of <laughs> areas to fall down outside of asking the right questions. Now, um, even using the phrase research, market research, is that something that has changed over time? Like, I remember there was a period of time like when focus groups and people would come in person in a room and there would be a moderator and they'd ask questions and the group dynamic would come into play and that would be a way to glean research. And then now you hear so much stuff about polling where people are calling, nobody's on the phone anymore, so that's not really getting the right people, you know, to ask any of the questions. And, and, and to your point, they could be just saying yes, just to get me off the phone so I can be done. Um, how has kind of 
you know, research changed over the years and where are we at today in this regard? Well, certainly I'll tell you where we are today because those are the techniques that are going to matter to to our listeners. Really what we're seeing, you know, we're, we're still unfortunately, you know, navigating, um, you know, wearing masks depending on the market you're in and, and these different situations. So the role of digital and virtual techniques has really advanced in the past, you know, five years. We have techniques where, you know, of course, online surveys, right? You can be anywhere, any time of day and complete an online survey, whether you're on your computer or you're on your mobile phone. So those are fantastic and a tried and true technique. Of course, focus groups that you've mentioned are still a fantastic way to gather information and to complement an online survey. And we've got great ways to do that virtually. The platforms that are available, whether it's Zoom or proprietary one, to bring people together online for focus groups has really taken off in the past two years, as you can imagine. But of course, there's other techniques when you think about uh, social media and how we all uh, may use these different platforms. Market research has started to uh, come up with some proprietary tools that are that look and feel similar to uh, social media, and they're called bulletin boards. They're virtual bulletin boards. So again, people can go in, they can interact with one of our moderators, they can interact with other like-minded participants invited, invited into the research study. So there's some really great uh, tools out there now that are heavily digital and virtual. Now, you mentioned that uh, some of the services you provide include uh, rebranding. Are there um, kind of some signals uh, for a company to pay attention to when it comes to rebranding, like just because I'm bored of my brand doesn't mean like my customers bored of my brand. Can you kind of inform our listeners about that? Like when when is kind of the time to rebrand or consider rebranding? You know, I'm gr- I'm glad you brought that up because obviously research is a critical component to a rebrand. But like you said, how do you know if you need to rebrand? If you answer no to question, to some of these following questions, you probably need to rebrand. Do you know your customer's current attitudes and behaviors towards your brand and the category of solutions you offer? Another question would be, can you clearly articulate how your brand is special, better, and different from your competitors? If you answer no, you probably need to, to rebrand to work on that. And then a, a third question I'll, I'll share is, do you have a brand story and messaging that effectively connects and engages with your buyers and your prospective buyers? If not, you probably need to rebrand so that you can create that. So if I, I answered in a way that it said, you know what, maybe I should be considering rebranding, is this something that is... Um, super hard or is it something that it, it takes like a year? Is it like, what is the, what is a rebrand kind of the steps to a rebrand? Yeah, I think that's a really important question. And there's often so many interpretations of a rebrand. So when we think about a rebrand, we think of it as a complete overhaul. Think about gutting your house and working with an architect on designing new plans and room layouts. 
that would be a rebrand. Whereas a brand refresh, you'll leverage existing brand assets, you know, the colors, the logo, and that would be more similar to updating your kitchen. You're replacing some, you know, countertop tile, backsplash, changing the cabinet colors. So that would be a brand refresh. If our listeners really need to undertake a true rebrand, they would start with discovery, getting smart, getting the information they need about understanding the perceptions of their brand, understanding their competitors, and understanding their customers. And then from there, once they have that intelligence, it's possible to articulate a brand strategy. Those key components of how are you going to compete? What is your story? What is the messaging that you want to consistently put out into the public realm? Once you have those pieces, you can then work on the step that everyone wants to get to, bringing the brand to life visually with those creative concepts of what will it look like? <laughs> so those are really the, the three core steps really, you know, summarize at a very high level. Because yeah, like a rebrand isn't just changing the name, right? Like no, you- that would be a, a renaming and certainly that can prompt a rebrand, but you can rebrand your company and not change the name. You know, you just maybe the, the rebrand, you change the logo, the look, the feel, the positioning and the messaging. So you like, like Netflix did with, you know, with Netflix was sending you DVDs in the mail and now Netflix is a streaming service. It's still Netflix, but it's really a different brand. Yeah, it's it's repositioned itself as, you know, it now has different offerings that are broader than when we used to get those in our mailbox. Absolutely. That's a great example. Now, another service you mentioned was content and um and for a lot of folks, they think they're creating content and they might be, but they may not be creating thought leadership. Can you kind of explain the difference between the two and how you help folks um, kind of elevate their content into the positioning of thought leadership? Absolutely. I mean, I think what's important about creating content is we are in a digital first era. You need to be creating content and you need to be creating different types of content Really, there's, you know, you're developing content and blog posts that are going to support search engine optimization, right? Showing up, uh, ensuring that your brand shows up when someone searches in Google for the types of services or products that you offer. You know, lead generation content to support moving prospects through that journey or just educating existing customers and the industry uh, through virtual or in-person trade shows. But the difference with content that promotes a product or a solution, it's very focused on the company. Whereas when you develop content to establish thought leadership, you may not be referencing directly your own solutions or products, but you're purely forward thinking and thought provoking to show that you're looking ahead, whether it's a couple years out, you're focusing on trends and the future landscape. But why should you do this? It's important to really reinforce that your company is a leader and not just 
pushing products and solutions, but they're, they're really looking ahead and understand the industry and category. Now, when you're working with your clients in this regard, are the people that are doing this kind of thought leadership content creation, are they only the leaders or is this something that can permeate the entire organization? Oh, absolutely. This is something that should be for the organization. Um, You know, the leaders, you know, it's really about positioning the organization. Some organizations may have leadership attribute their name to the content, but it's not necessary in order to reinforce a company's position of leadership in their industry. I would think this is an an interesting way for organizations to really um, keep their, their employees by positioning them as thought leaders. They're establishing them as kind of the go-to folks for that area of expertise, which could help keep that employee around the organization longer because they're helping them become the kind of the best them they can be. Absolutely. I think that's a great reminder that it really positions different individuals as experts while still positioning the company in that role. The other piece is it's not just for supporting, you know, certainly it supports uh, lead generation and business development, but it also validates existing customers and why they're working with a company of, oh, I'm working with them. They know what they're talking about. They're the experts. So like you said, there's quite a few ways to leverage this to improve the, the company. So now in your work, is there a story you can share of um, maybe do it in, in the framework of a um, kind of a before and after a company that you were working with? They had a challenge. You were able to come in and help them overcome that challenge and then take them to a new level. Obviously, don't name the name of the organization, but explain the problem they had and how you helped them solve it. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I mean, there's so many examples. It's, it's hard to choose but I'll pick one that, um, you know, is, is probably a, a simple and relevant example for today is, you know, in, in supply chain today, you know, there's really this need to move towards networks that are digitized, right? So if a beverage company is moving soda, they can tell the supply chain company can say, hey, you know what, that truckload is in Atlanta, Georgia, the deliveries, you know, happening in a few few hours or days or whatever it might be. So when we work with companies that provide that type of technology, it's often easy to get lost in the, the techs and specs of the, the type of network, the um, capabilities and features for containers, devices and people to connect and, and talk to each other, if you will. Instead of elevating to a higher level, which is where we come in, we tell a bigger story, really positioning for leadership around optimization and sustainability and and helping the company get out of the weeds with the techs and specs. So that's been a real wonderful uh, example where we can just elevate a company to reposition them, you know, getting them away from making the containers, making the devices, but that end benefit of optimization and visibility. And then working with an agency like yours to to take that kind of the mundane to them 
the day-to-day stuff that they might be taking for granted that they do and they have a storyteller like you and your team to come behind it and make it real and tangible and visceral, that can make all the difference in an organization. Absolutely. And I think that we talk about, I mean, just how you mentioned earlier, connecting and engaging the employees. I mean, when they have a bigger story of why they're at the company and what the company is accomplishing, it increases productivity, engagement, satisfaction, as well as clarifies for customers and prospective customers the offering and why organizations should be working with them. And it goes full circle back to the research where the, the, when you have clarity of information and knowledge, then you're able to make better decisions. I think that's a great way to uh, bring it back to the research. Absolutely. It all starts with getting the information, getting that intelligence to provide the clarity. Now, um, what was kind of the impetus for you and your team to get involved with GWBC? Why was it important for you to join their community? Absolutely. Well, you know, we are a woman-owned business, and we have been for, gosh, 12 or 13 years we just recently completed the exhaustive audit to be properly certified because we're seeing more and more, you know, Fortune 1000 companies want to work with diverse suppliers. And so really being part of this community has helped us navigate those conversations and how um, we can support companies with meeting their objectives while also growing our business and getting our team you know, projects that, that they're excited to work on. Well, Carolyn, congratulations on all the success. If there is a um, prospect out there or somebody who wants to learn more about your um, agency or your team or you, is there a website they can go to? Yes, our website is C as in cat, E as in Edward, K as in kite, and that's partners.com. So it's C-E-K partners.com. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing important work and we appreciate you. Thank you so much, Lee. I've enjoyed this. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on GWBC Radio.